You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to episode 62 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And as normal, I'll start off with a shout out to our new listeners. And this week we have new listeners in London, Blackburn, Portsmouth, Swansea, Birmingham, Guildford, Swindon, Cardiff, Manchester, Derby, Nottingham, Southampton, Havant, Northampton, Bristol and Gloucester, all in the UK. New listeners in Dublin and in County Wexford in County Wicklow and in Cork and Meath in Ireland. New listeners in Paris, Lyon, Chamonix, Marseille and Nice in France. New listeners in Ibiza, Barcelona and Madrid in Spain. New listeners in Brussels in Belgium, in Amsterdam, Rotterdam and The Hague, all in the Netherlands. In Nuremberg, Munich, Stuttgart, Frankfurt, Bonn, Hamburg and Berlin, all in Germany. In Copenhagen and Hoverstaden in Denmark. In Bergen in Norway. In Gothenburg and Stockholm in Sweden. In Tampere in Finland. In Lucerne in Switzerland. Vienna in Austria. Venice and Milan in Italy, Budapest in Hungary, Maribor in Slovenia, and big shout out to you, our first ever listener in Slovenia, Johannesburg in South Africa, Karnataka, Kerala and Tamil Nadu, all in India, Bangkok in Thailand, Jakarta in Indonesia, and big shout out to you too, our first listener in Indonesia, in Tokyo and Kanagawa in Japan, in Adelaide, Melbourne and Perth, all in Australia. In Sao Paulo, in Brazil. In Kingston, Jamaica. In Ontario and Quebec, in Canada. And in the USA this week, new listeners in San Francisco, Boston, Atlanta, New York, Raleigh, Dallas, Fort Worth, Seattle, Washington DC, Charlotte, Austin, Denver, Albany, Phoenix, Portland, Rochester, Los Angeles, Gainesville, Pittsburgh, Minneapolis and Sacramento. So, again, new listeners this week, right around the globe. Big shout out to you. Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you become regular listeners to the show. And of course, big shout out to all our regular listeners who tune in every week for the latest 30 minutes update on all the new items in the world of GDPR and data security. I hope you find the program entertaining and informative. And as always, I always welcome your feedback. To send me any feedback, please just send an email to podcast.insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk. Or go to our website at www.insurety.co.uk and go to the podcast page. And there you can find all of our previous episodes of the podcast and also details how to contact me. Uh, I do read all the comments that get sent in. Unfortunately, I don't have time to reply to them all individually, but please be sure that I do read them. However possible, we do incorporate your suggestions into future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. So, in just a few moments, I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. So, coming up in episode 62 of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have an update on the British Airways data breach and the claim deadline has now been extended to the 17th of January 2021 and... As a result of potential class action, it now looks like British Airways could stand to have to pay out compensation in the tune of around £3 billion. 
on a smaller scale, but just as important, we then have news of a data breach from the Southern Health NHS Trust, which has resulted in them having to pay £1,500 in damages to a man from Fordingbridge in Hampshire. We then have an update on GDPR and Brexit. We then have a short article on Does CCPA, which comes into force on the 1st of January to 2020, have any impact on you? We then have news that Hudson Bay Finance Limited, based in the Wirral in Merseyside, are facing court action for non-compliance with subject access requests. We then have a look at problems being suffered by Irish schools in their day-to-day operations as a result of the implementation of GDPR and a look at whether that's also true here in the UK. And then finally for this week, we have news that Hayes Connor, a Lancashire-based law firm, have issued a £100 million data breach claim against Equifax. So, as normal, quite a mix of the large and the small in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. But we hope you find all the articles useful and informative and that you find the programme as a whole entertaining. And so, without further ado, on with the show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We begin this week with an update on the British Airways data breach, which we mentioned in last week's episode and also a few episodes ago. You may remember that we said that British Airways had imposed a 17-week deadline on people being able to file a claim for damages against British Airways as a result of the data breach. This decision by British Airways was challenged in the High Court and the High Court has this week announced that the length of time that the victims of the data breach are going to have to lodge a damages claim against British Airways has been extended from 17 weeks to 15 months. So a substantial change and so the cut-off date for claims is now the 17th of January 2021. The decision was made at the High Court as it was felt by the court that the original deadline of 17 weeks was unreasonable given that the data breach could have affected as many as 430,000 individuals and therefore it was felt by the court that there had to be time for those 430,000 individuals to mount a claim against British Airways should they wish to do so. Lawyers estimate that British Airways could be in line to have a possible payout of up to £3 billion based on an estimated average compensation settlement of £6,000 for each of the approximate 430,000 victims who were affected by the two data breaches in 2018. At the time of the hearing, it was understood that only around 7,500 potential victims had so far contacted either lawyers or British Airways for compensation claims which is a little over 1% of the number that could be entitled to claim. However, since news of the group litigation order last week, one of the firms involved, your lawyers, has seen an influx of new claimants and currently represents 372 victims. To give a little bit of history, in September and October 2018, British Airways claimed to have notified over 500,000 customers that they may have been affected by data breaches. It is understood that some 185,000 reward booking customers between April and July last year had their personal information and financial details compromised 
and around 380,000 more customers were apparently notified that their data may have been breached between August and September from the airline's app and website. The information exposed included users' names, billing addresses, email addresses and card payment information, and crucially, that included not just the card numbers and expiry dates, but in tens of thousands of cases, the CVV security code, the three digits off the back of the card. For those most affected, i.e. those who've had their CVV digits exposed and financial details, lawyers advise that victims could expect to receive as much as £16,000, or even more in cases where psychological injury is extreme. If any person affected has also suffered direct financial losses, then these can also be claimed in addition to compensation for the distress caused to the customer. It should be borne in mind that all of this compensation is on top of the £183 million penalty imposed by the UK Information Commissioner's Office, the UKICO, as a fine for the data breach. Aman Johal, director at Your Lawyers, said when Your Lawyers first flagged British Airways underhand tactics, trying to deny the victims compensation from the data breaches, the airline claimed its proposed window did not prevent customers joining the group claim. He went on to say that after being held up to media scrutiny, your lawyers warned that hundreds of thousands of potential claimants could miss out on compensation. British Airways has shown that it is prepared to climb down from its original stance. It claimed this was a negotiation rather than a cynical push for a low-ball recruitment period. Amman went on to say, British Airways U-turn is a vindication of our efforts to champion consumer rights. However, there's still a great amount of work to do. The airline does not have to contact its victims to let them know the amount they stand to gain. He said, I encourage everyone affected to join the class action and ensure that they hold BA accountable for any losses. A hearing at the High Court of England and Wales, Queen's Bench Division, on Friday the 4th of October, established a final cut-off date of 17th of January 2021. Under order of the High Court, your lawyers has been appointed to the steering committee which is responsible for the conduct of the BA group action. If you are a customer of British Airways and you believe you may have been affected by either of these data breaches, you can find out more about the group action at https colon slash slash www.yourlawyers.co.uk. We should add here that we at GDPR Weekly Show have no financial or other connection with your lawyers and that other legal firms are available. We suspect there will be further updates on this British Airways story, and if and when we receive any, we will of course bring them to you in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. A man from Fordingbridge in Hampshire said that he was stunned and very upset after discovering by chance that his medical records had been accessed and details shared without his consent. The data breach actually took place back in 2016, but Robert Richardson only found out about it this year after making a data subject access request. Now, Southern House NHS Trust, who are responsible for the records of Mr Richardson, have admitted failing in its data protection obligations following the incident 
which involved a member of its staff accessing and sharing details of Mr Richardson's confidential medical records without his consent. Mr Richardson has received £1,500 in settlement for damages as a result of this data breach. Acting on his behalf, Hayes Twonner solicitors said that council files revealed that following his request for a more secure door to be provided for his property after serious threats were made against him, New Forest District Council had contacted the NHS to ask whether he was known to its mental health facility. The 61-year-old operating administrator said, I asked the local council to replace my front door for added security for my family, but they weren't helpful. I had concerns about what was happening internally at the council in relation to my request. I proceeded to make a data subject access request only to discover that they had contacted the NHS with the suspicion I was suffering from mental health issues. Mr Richardson went on to say, I was stunned and very upset to discover that this had taken place without my knowledge or consent, and even more upset that the NHS had proceeded to access my private medical records to confirm to the council I had not been a mental health patient, again without my knowledge or consent. This followed a simple request of the back door of my property replaced, and at no point did the council or the NHS ask permission to share my private information. James Teleher, litigation executive at Data Breach and Cyber Security Specialist Lawyers, Hayes Connor solicitors, who represented Mr Richardson in this case, said, The trust admitted that a technical breach of the Data Protection Act had occurred. Our client discovered the breach purely by chance. It is concerning that private medical information was accessed and details shared without our client's consent. Had he not made his subject access request, the breach would have gone undetected. We pursued a successful data breach claim against Southern Health NHS Trust on behalf of Mr Richardson, securing him £1,500 in damages. A Southern Health NHS Foundation Trust spokesperson said, We take patient confidentiality extremely seriously and work hard to ensure people's information is processed in accordance with their wishes. In this case, we apologise as we fell short of these standards and have updated our information sharing policy and staff guidance to provide clarification around information sharing requests from third parties. We contacted New Forest District Council for a comment on this story but at the time of broadcast, they have not yet come back to us. If we do receive any update on this case, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you're in the UK, you'll know that it's been quite a week for Brexit activity this week, with the announcement on Thursday that the UK and the European Council had reached a withdrawal agreement which both sides were happy with, subject to it being ratified by all 27 countries of the EU and being ratified by the UK Parliament. But you'll also be aware that in the UK Parliament, holding its first Saturday sitting for over 30 years yesterday, really failed to come to a conclusion because the motion was put forward by the government for the withdrawal agreement to be accepted. However, there was subsequently an amendment proposed by Oliver Letwin, MP, which succeeded in gaining a majority support in the House, which meant that the government pulled the vote on the actual withdrawal agreement, although it went through nominally as being accepted because of them not contesting the motion after the amendment was put forward. 
However, all this has left the world of Brexit very much in the same state of flux that it was last weekend. And so it was our intention this week to bring you a definitive update on what you needed to do with regard to data if you were exchanging data with countries within the European Union. However, because of the activity in the House of Commons yesterday, we are still not able to bring you that definitive advice. And so we intend to bring you an update next week, which we hope will be the definitive advice on what to do. We're conscious that we'll be very close to the 31st of October, but unfortunately, as I hope listeners can appreciate, much of this is out of our control as it's dependent on the House of Parliament and the House of Commons in particular making the judgment to accept the withdrawal agreement. What we can say, however, is to give a little bit of advice, is that if you have companies within the EU with which you are sharing data, then we would recommend that you take the step of getting controller-to-controller standard contractual clauses in place between yourselves and the organisations within the EU with whom you are sharing data. You should ideally have these contracts in place before the 31st of October. However, I suspect that given the volatility of the Brexit space at the moment, there will probably be a a small amount of breathing room around that deadline. But you would be well advised to start thinking about getting those standard contractual clauses into terms and conditions between you and the organisation that you're sharing data with. You can find those standard contractual clauses on the Information Commissioner's Office website. And if you need any help at all with implementing those standard contractual clauses or indeed in getting that agreement in place, then please do not hesitate to get in touch with us here at podcast.insurity.co.uk or go to the insurity.co.uk website and contact us via there and we'll be more than happy to help you. We're already seeing an increase in the number of inquiries this week for EEA representative services and that's a service we're very pleased to be able to provide. So if you do need our help in dealing with organisations within the EU, particularly with Brexit now looming very much on the horizon, then please do not hesitate to get in touch with us and we will do our best to get back to you and help you as much as we possibly can. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you are a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, you have heard us talk several times about the California Consumer Privacy Act, the CCPA, which comes into effect on January the 1st, 2020. Often referred to as America's GDPR, the CCPA gives residents of California the power to ask companies to share all the data that's been collected on them. So, if you're a UK business and you do business with California, do you need to take steps to be CCPA compliant? Well, the good news is, of course, is that if you're GDPR compliant, you're already going to be nine-tenths of the way there. But also, this week, it's now become clear from the US some benchmarks in place so that you can judge whether CCPA will apply to you or not. So, in brief, 
UK businesses that collect or store the personal information of California residents and in addition either A. have a gross annual revenue totaling over $25 million or B. buy, receive, sell or share for commercial purposes the personal information of 50,000 or more California consumers, households or devices per year or C. Derive more than half of their annual revenue from selling California residents' personal data, then CCPA will apply to you. If none of those apply, and bear in mind that they are ors, they're not ands, so if none of those apply, then you don't need to worry about CCPA. Just keep doing everything under GDPR as you are now, and everything will be fine. Uh, we will probably bring you more updates on CCPA as we get closer to its implementation on January the 1st. So we'll bring those to you in upcoming episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. Hudson Bay Finance Limited, a finance company based in the Wirral in Merseyside, could be finding themselves in court very soon for failing to comply with a data subject access request. I think this is quite interesting now that the ICO, as well as following up on data breaches, is starting to take action against companies and organisations who don't respond to data subject access requests within the requisite period, i.e. within 30 days of receiving the access request. I think those of us who work in the industry welcome this as a whole because it is important that you not only pay attention to data breaches, but that you do provide the data subjects, copies of the data that you have on them, if and when they request it. In this particular case, Hudson Bay Finance Limited have been given numerous opportunities to provide the information requested. They were originally requested to provide the information by way of a letter of recorded delivery from the data subject in May 2018. Having received no response to the subject access request, the complainant contacted the ICO on the 21st of September 2018 regarding Hudson's finance failure to respond. The ICO themselves wrote to Hudson Finance on the 11th of December 2018 to ask it to review the request from the data subject and provide a response. This letter was returned and was subsequently resent to the data controller on the 17th of January 2019. The complainant still did not receive a response to her subject access request and so the commissioner telephoned the data controller on the 14th of March 2019, the 20th of March 2019 and the 21st of March 2019 to confirm the address details and discuss the complaint. During the conversation of the 21st of March 2019, Hudson Finance refused to engage and hung up the telephone. The commissioner wrote again to Hudson Finance on the 27th of March 2019 and the 28th of March 2019, and subsequent calls were made on the 6th of June, the 10th of June, the 11th of June and the 13th of June 2019, but the data controller either didn't answer or didn't return the calls as requested. The Commissioner subsequently issued a preliminary enforcement notice on the 26th of June 2019 requiring the data controller, Hudson Finance, 
to respond to the data subject access request by 26 July 2019, but again, the data control did not respond, either to the complainant or to the ICO. The ICO has therefore now launched court action against Hudson Finance, and we will, of course, follow this case in with interest and bring you updates in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show once we know what the outcome of such legal action has been. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. There were some interesting outcomes from schools in Ireland this week, in the Republic of Ireland, where they've reported problems with GDPR in the way that their implementation of GDPR is preventing them from sharing information with other government agencies. For example, uh, the sharing of information on vaccinations with the Irish Health and Safety Executive. The National Association of Principals and Deputy Principals said that there is growing confusion about what data a school can and cannot give out when asked for information. As well as the vaccination information, it cited what could be given out when schools were requested for references on past pupils. The National Association of Principals and Deputy Principals said its understanding was that under the new data protection regulations, schools cannot share certain personal information it holds on students, like their addresses, even if it's requested by another government agency, such as the health service. Paul Byrne, Deputy Director of the Association, said we cannot share certain information with the HSC or with Tesla, as it would not be compliant. Even though we all want to see the vaccinations being done, we are precluded from sharing the data. Schools are also unsure as to what they think about when they're asked to provide a reference, he said. You can say that the student attended the school from this date to this date, and that's about the extent of it. Part of it is because GDPR is really still a new phenomenon and there is a fear factor, so schools are now afraid to share any information, he said. There's also an absolute insistence that computers in schools have to be shut down at 4pm if a teacher is not in the room so that no data on the student can be viewed, even classroom roles. Anywhere where you would have had data stored in schools, we've now installed digital encoded locks, Mr Burns said. There's a heightened awareness of the data that schools hold. He said making sure schools are GDPR compliant has added to the constantly increasing workload of principals and deputy principals. He went on to say that if a school gets a data request, it's a huge burden for principals to comply with, depending on the amount of data that there is within the school. If you receive a data request and there are other people's names on it, you have to go through and read that to all those names, he said. Another example he gave was that if CCTV footage was requested from a school, all faces not relating to the person who made the request had to be pixelated. Pixelation in the past could cost you up to €500 Euros for a small bit of footage, and if that's requested, you have to give it, he said. Ellis Noonan from the Irish Data Protection Commission is due to brief 600 principals and deputy principals at the second day of the annual conference of the National Association of Principals and Deputy Principals. Now, it'd be interesting for us to hear from listeners to the GPR Weekly Show. If you're in the field of education, if you're a school head teacher or deputy head teacher here in the UK, or you're just a member of staff within a school that has responsibility for GDPR, I'd be really interested to know what problems you're having with GDPR and how it's affecting your school here in the UK. 
are you finding that there's information you're being asked for by other government departments that you're not able to give them? Or indeed the situation where someone asks for a reference for a ex-pupil, are you able to give that information? Are you able to provide the reference or do you feel that GDPR is preventing from you from doing that effectively? Um, we'd love to know your feedback on that. So please do email us at podcast.insurity.co.uk and we'll bring a report on this into a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Lancashire-based data breach and cybersecurity specialist lawyers, Hayes Twonner Solicitors, are the first in the UK to serve a representative data breach claim in the High Court. Hayes Tonner are bringing the claim against Equifax, and that could see Equifax being ordered to pay up to £100 million in compensation to an estimated 15 million UK customers affected by the Equifax data breach in 2017 that we've previously reported here on the GDPR Weekly Show. The action being brought by Hayes Tonner follows the Court of Appeals decision on the Lloyd v. Dougal case on the 2nd of October 2019, which ruled that a law firm could bring a claim for compensation for just one affected individual following a data breach and be awarded compensation for the entire affected population. Kingsley Hayes, Managing Director at Data Breach Solicitors Hayes Tonner, said, We are delighted to be the first firm to issue proceedings following the Court of Appeals' recent groundbreaking ruling, which allows us to pursue the total amount of compensation due to Equifax's 15 million affected UK customers. Mr Hayes went on to say, We estimate the total value of the claim to be £100 million, which if won, Hayes Connor would distribute to all affected individuals. Equifax was found by the ICO to have failed in its data protection obligations on multiple levels, including failing to comply with how customers' personal information can be processed and stored, and how that private data should be secured. Following hackers successfully accessing its systems in America to steal the personal information reported 143 million individuals, the personal data of its UK customers was also exposed, including email addresses, usernames, passwords, security questions, phone numbers and credit card details. Mr Hayes went on to say, This is the first time that a data breach claim has been issued in the UK on behalf of all affected parties. The Court of Appeal ruling has made it easier for all data breach victims to be fairly compensated. Regular listeners may remember that Equifax suffered significant financial losses following the data breach which was announced in March 2017, with US lawsuits resulting in the credit report giant being fined $290 million in order to pay a further $1.4 billion in compensation to affected American customers. The ICO found that Equifax had failed on multiple counts in how it stored, processed and protected its UK customers' information, imposing a minimum £500,000 fine in September 2018 as the breach occurred pre-GDPR. Hayes Tonner has instructed Louis Brown QC and Ian Whitehurst of Exchange Square Chambers in Liverpool in the landmark action. Hayes Tonner Solicitors was recently appointed as data protection supplier to Communication Workers Union, and is currently acting for thousands of claimants with data breach action against Ticketmaster, Equifax, Marriott International, Team Sport, Dixon's Carphone, and the Police Federation of England and Wales. 
We hope to have an interview with Mr. Hayes or another representative of Hayes Toronto coming up in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurability production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity. Check us out on Facebook. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe.